0: Thank you for listening to the Streams Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We are a community that strives to know Jesus and make Him known. If you like our podcast, subscribe and leave us a great rating on Apple Podcast. Thank you and we hope you enjoy. Good morning, everyone. Okay. We are in a series that is entitled Restoration, so this is higher. <laughs> it's good, though. And that will work with my height also, so it's fine. Uh, The series is Restoration. And it's about how God creates us anew. When he restores us, he he renews who we are, which he is a master at restoration. Redemption, giving life, those those are the things that God does. Um, So the title this morning is specifically, what does it mean to have a new heart? Uh, That's at the center of the new creation. When he creates us anew, um, is a new heart. Um, And I was thinking about this, um, looked up a little bit of information on getting a new heart. Did you know, by the way, that uh, you can ask a question of almost anything of Google and you'll have an answer in just a few seconds? Isn't that really an amazing thing? So there are more than 2,000 new hearts that are given to people every year in the U.S. That seemed like a lot to me. the survival rate of of uh, transplant transplant patients, the, or the median. I'm going to say the median rate is about 14 years. Okay, median. There's about an 85 success, percent success rate after one year, and then that goes down to 69 percent after five years. Um, cost, by the way, is about 260 thousand dollars. So. God is good at creating new hearts, and his hearts last. It's not a temporary thing. It doesn't, doesn't need at all to, to be anything other than completely new, and it's eternal, and he's good at it, and he has a good success rate at doing that. 2 Corinthians 5.17 is kind of a key passage, and you should have that underlined in your Bible if you do not already. But it says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And right at the center of that, I believe the new creation is a new heart. God creates something new within us, and he is good at doing it. So the heart, and of course we're not uh, speaking of the physical organ, but we're speaking of biblically the heart is the center of a person's being. So it's the center of all mental activity. It's, It's who I am. The, the inner person, sometimes we'll use the term soul, but it's um, my, my mental state, my moral thinking, decision making is made from the heart, um, sp- the spiritual center of my life, my emotional center, all of those things biblically are tied to what the, the scripture calls the heart. So Matthew, Jesus said in Matthew 15, 19, talking about the heart, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. That's the negative side. But all those things have their origin in the heart. And then on the other side is our reaching out towards God. So uh, Jesus said the first commandment is love God with all your, and the first thing he said was your heart. Love God with all of your heart. We're going to look at the story of David this morning. And in the story of David, having a right heart is called having a heart after God's own heart. What I want to look at today is just what that means. What does it mean to have a new heart? There's, uh, I'm going to build a case, and I'm going to go step by step. There are five different steps. I'll try to keep you exactly with me, okay, on where we're going this morning. Um, but I want you really to hear... Um, what God says to us out of the story of David. But step number one in the case we're building is, starts with Saul. Um, We can't really understand David without understanding Saul first. So that's where we're going going to go first. Saul was not a man after God's own heart in in distinction from David. So some things about Saul, he was David's predecessor. Uh, He was was a man that was chosen, handpicked by God for his kingship and had great, great potential. But he ultimately failed in his life. He failed in his kingship. Um, Some of the specific things that he did, he took on priestly functions without authorization. And he knew very well that that is a role for the priest. It was very, very clear. And he disregarded what God said and said, I think that I am going to do this. And he he did that. He engaged in partial obedience. And so when he's confronted with his partial obedience, he really focuses upon, but I did what God said. And then when he's confronted, but what about this part? And that's when he just shifts blame. It wasn't really me. You know, it was God's people that were doing these things. You can read all about this in 1 Samuel 15. So we made a lot of excuses. Um, Blame passing is something that we have learned to do really well. All of us do it. So the original couple, Genesis 3, 12 and 13, when they're confronted with what they've done, scripture says the woman, and this is the man speaking this, the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. And notice carefully that Adam is not just blaming the woman, but he's actually starting with God. Did you catch that? the woman, you, God, gave me. It's not my responsibility. It's an excuse. And then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. We pass blame pretty easily. Um, It's what immature people do when they're confronted with wrongdoing. And again, we all do it. Um, I... Uh, my, in my job, I deal with children, and I've done it for such a long time. And let me tell you, they're really good at this. <laughs> and if there's any educators here, um, or parents, you've seen exactly the same thing. They, they all learn there's some standard responses, and I see these responses all the time, first standard responses. It wasn't me. Well, who was it then? Well, I don't know, but it wasn't me. <laughs> standard response number two, they did it to me first. I was just paying them back, hear that one, all the time. Standard response number three, well, others are doing it. Why are you picking on me? Try that one on, if you, if you get stopped by a policeman for speeding, try saying, well, all those other cars were doing it. Why did you just stop me? And he's going to say something like, yes, but you're the one that got caught, right? Yeah. <laughs> and there's nothing you can say. Here's your ticket. Standard response number four is, well, what's so bad about it? I'll have kids, a kid, for example, will say to me, I was just laughing. Can I laugh? And the answer to that is, the laughing is not the issue. It's the volume that you were doing at that was the issue. So we learn from a very young age to pass blame, to shift the blame to others. Okay. so with Saul at 1st Samuel 13 and verse 13 okay and this is what could have been for Saul and Samuel said to Saul you have done foolishly you have not kept the command of the Lord your God with which he commanded you for then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever that's what that's what could have been for Saul but now your kingdom shall not continue The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. What it boiled down to with Saul is his heart was not right with God. It wasn't a heart after God's own heart. Okay? Step number two in the case we're building today. David was chosen for kingship because he had a right heart was chosen by God, specifically to to replace Saul. Both men were chosen. Both men had tremendous potential, but one ultimately failed and one ultimately succeeded with God. And that's what we want to try to come to understand the whys of that today. So in choosing the next king after Saul, the prophet Samuel is sent by God to Jesse, who has... Eight sons total. And God has told Samuel that one of those sons is going to be the next king. And Samuel's automatic thought is when the first son is brought in, it must be the first son. And this is what God says to Samuel then when he's looking at that first son. This is 1 Samuel sixteen seven. Do not Look on his appearance, or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Okay? Let's go to step number three in the case we're building today. David showed good signs, great signs, in fact, as a leader. But then he failed hugely. He failed miserably. Let's be honest. And we need to look at that. But we're going to start with the positives. Uh, that he had a great victory over Goliath, tremendous victory, uh, and that was a spiritual victory as well as a, as a physical victory. He won over Saul's heart, and they were very close. But he wanted when he saw who David was and his just his natural ability, and there was something that just drew David to Saul, and he wanted David in his service, like one of his close confidants in in his inner circle, and he drew David in. Um, But even after he turned against David, out of jealousy later on, and he hunted David trying to to kill him, chased him all over the country, Um, David, did you know he never spoke an evil word, a, a criticism, never criticized Saul. He always referred to him as God's anointed. There was something in David, you see, that was different but then also on the positive side of the ledger with David, he wrote most of the book of Psalms, All of most of the Psalms were written by him, and in the Psalms you see the, uh, the, the humanness of an individual, but yet his complete reliance and trust on God. He cries out, and you see him struggling over and over again with, with where his life is at, but you will always see David God, you are my anchor, but God, you are my rock, and I will, I will turn my eyes upon you. I will, I will put my trust in you. You always see David coming back to God, okay? But then, that's on the positive side of who David was, but then there's his sin, and I want to take us through it. Um, I, I need to do this today for us to, to completely understand um, what was going on with David. And so this is 2 Samuel 11. Looking at verse, beginning with verse 1. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained at Jerusalem. It happened late one afternoon when David rose from the couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. Isn't it interesting that Scripture is just so blunt about what's going on here? It It doesn't cover over anything, and everyone in this room knows exactly what's going on in David's heart right now. I think you do. And David sent and inquired about the woman, and one said, It is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. She's a married woman. Very clear. So David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. He saw her, he wanted her, and something was conceived in his heart at that moment, and he carried it out. Let's go to verse 5. And the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I'm pregnant. So David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite, that's her husband. And Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked Joab, Joab, How Joab was doing and how the people that would be the soldiers were doing and how the war was going. And then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. Uriah went out of the king's house and there followed him a present from the king. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and did not go down to his house. And when they told David Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, have you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? And Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah dwell in booths, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go to my house to eat to drink and to lie with my wife as you live and as your soul lives? I will not do this thing. David is trying to cover up what he knows he's done, his wrongdoing, um, it's a cover-up for sin, and it's just, isn't it just his luck that he gets a man of such integrity? <laughs> um, there's irony in, in so much of this. So, David hatches another plan, verse 14. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. See, there's, there's great irony there. In the letter is, is Uriah's death sentence. And he sends it back to the commander of the army through Uriah. It's hard to imagine. In the letter he wrote, Set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting, and then draw back from him that he may be struck down and die. Wow. This is a man that elsewhere is said is after God's own heart. Verse 25. Verse 25. David said to the messenger, well this is after um, he got word, I have to fill in the details here, David got word that his plan was successful, Uriah had been killed in battle, and then a messenger comes back to David at Jerusalem giving him the news, and then this is David's response to the messenger, verse 25, thus shall you say to Joab, do not let this matter displease you, for the sword devours now one and now another strengthen your attack against the city and overthrow it and encourage him encourage Joab it's not that big a deal you see what he's doing it's just war this happens in war and then verse 27 and when the morning now that would be the morning that Bathsheba had for her husband when the morning was over David sent and brought her to his house and she became his wife and bore him a son But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. He carried out the intent of his heart, but it makes it very clear God was not anywhere. It almost seems like um, an understatement, doesn't it? But this thing displeased the Lord. Step number four in the case we're building today, this is a question. How was God... Was David a man after God's own heart? I want to just raise the question, how? The man that committed what we just talked about, how is he a man after God's own heart? When Samuel confronted Saul, he said specifically, God has rejected you because he has sought out a man after God's own heart. So somehow, despite what David just did, he's still a man after God's own heart. But come on, was David really all that much different than Saul? Really? And you could make an argument that his sin was worse than Saul's. You could absolutely argue that. How was he different than Saul? Was was God just unfair? Was God playing a favorite? Did he just like David better than Saul? What is going on here? And it really leads us to the question of what does it really mean that David had a heart after God's own heart. I want to take us to when he's confronted, when David is confronted by the prophet Nathan, and this has to do with his reactions when he's confronted by Nathan. So I'm in chapter 12 of 2 Samuel, verse um, 7. The prophet Nathan has told David, a, uh, it's like a, a parable, and in the parable he speaks about a, a man's wrongdoing. And then he looks at David, and this is what he said to David. You are the man. It's all about you, David. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. And I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms, and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. So he lays it out, confronts David, this is exactly what you've done. And then there's consequences. And there's always consequences to sin. You know that, don't you? There's, you, you, never, you never get away with sin. No matter what it is, there's always consequences to sin. You can count on it. So this is the consequence that Nathan lays out, Uh, he he says, Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house, because you've despised me, and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. And then he goes on in verse 11, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house. Okay, I'm not going to read anything further there. But what we want to see in verse 13 is how David responds. And this is really the important thing. David said to Nathan, I've sinned against the Lord there's no blame passing there's no excuses do you see that this is the critical thing he just says I'm wrong that's what's different with Saul, Saul did a lot of blame passing Saul had a lot of excuses David just says I'm wrong and therefore Nathan's response immediately to David is Lord also has put away your sin you shall not die Sherry and I know of a pastor, and this none of you will know who this was, but uh, this was in a different state, but a long-time pastor of a church, highly respected man, long-time in the pastorate, who over years was sleeping with several of the women in the congregation. And he he had such strong power and influence in the church that uh, that's why it was able to go for a long time without being found out. Uh, Unfortunately, these things happen. When he's confronted with what he's doing, he actually refers to this story about David. And he says, I'm not any worse than David. That was his response. David was a man who had needs and desires, and he fulfilled that. And then God forgave him and restored him. And I'm not any worse than David. But he's missing the whole point. The whole point is David's response when he's confronted. I'm wrong. I'm guilty. I just need the Lord's mercy. No excuses. No blaming. Nothing. It was me. I was wrong. You missed, if you miss that and just use David as an excuse for your sin, you've missed the whole point of that story. David continually returned to God. There, there were other times when he failed. It wasn't just the big ones, but each time. Um, and that's represented, you see that in Psalm 32, verse 5. I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. That's the heart of David. That's the genuine heart. That's the heart that's after God's own heart. He didn't hide anything. Just laid it all out in the open before God. And then, this is subsequent to the incident with Bathsheba and Uriah. He wrote Psalm 51, which is just a a psalm of repentance. And I want to take us through a few of those verses today. Um, Psalm 51, verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. He trusts himself to God. He just lays it all out before God and there's a, there's a trust in God's mercy. Verse 2, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. He's asking for an inner cleansing in his heart. Three, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. He completely acknowledges his sin. Four, Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you might be justified in your words and blameless in your judgments. He knows his sin is ultimately against God. And that's true of all sin. Ultimately, it's against God. Let's go to verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And that's David's heart cry. Through all of his wrongdoing, it's creating me... a clean heart, Lord, and renew a right spirit within me. He desires that God will will just transform everything within him and make make it to be cleansed and renewed. And then verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. See, what God really wanted was his heart. So Stemming from a heart that was right with God he, in his life in general, he always aligned himself with God's purposes. Ultimately, that's where his heart was. He sought to live ultimately in conformity with God's, God's ways. He trusted God. That's evident in all the Psalms that he wrote. There's, there's a deep trust, even though he's being hunted uh, by Saul for his life and is in much distress, yet there's a trust in God's goodness and God is going to be with him. He lays it all on God. And then we could just say, kind of summary on David in general, the course of his life um, moved in a Godward direction. That's a man whose heart is after the heart of God. This is the fifth step in building the case today. Though he failed, yet God's favor and blessing was upon him. Though he failed, hugely failed, yet God's favor and blessing were upon him. Did you know that he ended? He had a long reign, 40 years, and he ended it in peace. Everything was calmed down. There was no more warfare at the end. He handed off a very strong kingdom to his son Solomon. Um, And it was to David that the promise of a Messiah, a deliverer of Israel, came. He was the one king that, that God said, it will be one of your descendants that I will set upon my throne and through him I will reign forever, your son. And that was one of the central messianic promises of the Old Testament. And uh, many places in, in the Gospels we see Jesus being referred to as the son of David. And there's great significance whenever that's said. This is the fulfillment of that promise that was made to David. He's listed in Hebrews 11 as one of the heroes of faith. One of the heroes of faith. Chapter 11 of Hebrews. Recently, Sherry and I were at a social event for a ministry, a prison ministry that we're part of. It's called Alongside Ministries. And uh, we, we were um, meeting at there. they have a, uh, a center where they house people that have come out of prison. And uh, we ran into a young woman, well, in her 30s, do we, we can we consider in their 30s still young mother. And this is a young woman that Sherry and I had both uh, ministered to while she was incarcerated and got to know her pretty well. And she was just telling us a little bit of her story. She's married now, and we met her husband, seemed like a really nice uh, man, and, and everything just, uh, it, it was a good meeting with her. Uh, but what she related to us was how much trying to run things herself in her life. She had messed her life up, wound up incarcerated for five years, and then it was the last four that she was coming to our church services. I was going into her yard once a month for a church service and got to know her Me once a month for four years. Um, and then she came out and went through the, the ministry housing and uh, got to a great start in her life after that. But this is what she told us she says after i messed my life up really well trying to do it my way i decided i i want to follow and do it god's way and we together so that started off with choosing a man to marry that was a godly man that was at the top of her list and doing it god's way and then um and he was he had been incarcerated also so he's got a whole story of his own but taking it slowly was the next thing and doing it God's way. And she also made clear we, we determined we were going to be celibate until the, uh, the wedding. It's doing it God's way. And then right now they're serving God together and, and doing really well. They both have jobs and, and uh, everything is going really, really well. It just makes such a difference. Uh, you can, no matter where you've come from, God's a restorer. And it all comes down to what's going on in your heart. That's, that's the key issue. Um, so we'll wrap up. Was David really all that much different than Saul? Um, his sins were... This is the thing. His sin was actually greater than Saul. so it wasn't a matter of the severity of the sin. Now, once again, there's... Con- The the greater your sin, the more consequences there's going to be. So I'm not diminishing that part. There's consequences. For her, it was, for this young woman, five years in prison. But what distinguished David from Saul was his heart. He had a right heart. He had a heart that was after God's own heart. So despite his failures, and he failed hugely, big time, God continued to work his purposes in David's life. He had not lost God's hand of favor and blessing upon him. And let me tell you, God can work a new heart in you as well. No matter where you've come from or what your past or background is, God can work it completely new, and it starts right here with your heart, creating in you a clean heart, as David cried out for. God can do that, and uh, he can do that. Today, you can start right now. Um, maybe you've had spiritual or moral failures. And that's not what will stop God's working in you. Don't give up because all is not lost. I think it's a Crowder song that says, God, ain't, it ain't over yet. Is that Crowder? It ain't over. Oh, okay. <laughs> it ain't over yet. The key is the heart. The key is, where is your heart at? And God can create a right heart in you, no matter what, where it's been. He can change it right now, because he is he's a master at creating new things. So key is the heart. I just want to uh, leave with you a challenge to surrender your heart, um, if that's you. If, if you're in a place, maybe you've had big-time failures in your life. But God's calling you right now just to surrender your heart. Uh, worship team, would you join me on the stage? I wanna pray for, pray for you right now. Lord, I pray for a right heart. And I start with myself. I pray that my heart would be in the place, Lord, where it's after your heart. Make me to be like you in my inner being. And I pray that for each of us today, Lord change our hearts, cleanse our hearts, create in us clean hearts, oh God, and renew a steadfast spirit within. I pray where there has been uh, failures across this group of people today, moral failures or uh, spiritual failures, I pray, Lord, that you would take that person's heart and renew that heart today and create a a new heart, a clean heart, a heart that is soft and contrite and broken before you. Create in us truly, Lord, clean hearts, I pray. Renew a steadfast spirit within me and within us this morning, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.